0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado.
1: Try to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner, gets up center! Perry! Corey Perry! Well yeah, able to shake away from Solani. It's
0: given away Welcome back, everybody. It's the fifth win in a row. It's Eddie and Patrick here on the Forever Mighty Post Game Show talking to you guys tonight about the Ducks and Blackhawks game. Man, I I don't know, dude. It felt like this team was flying out the gate, and at the end they (laughs) just kind of like fell out of gas. But uh, luckily, thanks to uh, all four posts, it seems like the Ducks get away with a victory here. Four to two over the Chicago
1: Blackhawks. It's, it's been a while. <laughs> it feels like it's been a while, because we missed the uh, the Capitals game, and now we're back uh, for this game. And we kind of missed talking about that insane f- what is four-goal comeback, I guess, but the Ducks scored five straight to win that game. Um, and then it felt like they went into this one, and they kind of carried that over for a bit. And uh, they were playing about 40 to 60 minutes straight of just ridiculous hockey until, obviously... The Blackhawks fought their way back into this one. But, man, the, the Ducks, for a bit in this one, and obviously for, for the second half of that last game, just looked like a completely different team.
0: No, it was a great thing to see, man. They were flying in the first period. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's nice to see that. And it's it's just disappointing that the Hawks are so bad. A yeah. little disappointing, right? I'm never ever going to complain about getting two points out of this team. I'm never going to complain about being on a five game win streak or any of that stuff. I'm not. I'm not that negative about about uh, what happens in Anaheim. But it's like it's great to see the Hawks going in the wrong direction. Finally, finally, that team slowly but surely just circling the drain and uh, not able to pull their things together. So it, it, it was it was a good night tonight for sure.
1: Yeah, it, the funny thing is is like they are so bad this year, and the Central's so good, it, it makes them even worse. But as we saw in this game, they still have those guys who can hurt you. Jonathan Taves played a great game. Patrick Kane was dangerous. Then they've got Debrinket and, and bringing in uh, Dylan Strom to play with him too. As bad as they are this year, they've still got those core pieces of this lineup that are dangerous, and they, they can create scoring chances, and they can make teams pay, especially when uh, like the Ducks did when you start sitting back.
0: I mean, the Hawks are what two points out from being the worst team in the Western Conference. I
1: think so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah the Kings
0: are Kings are twenty first. The Blues. I mean, surprisingly, the Blues are are that far down. We I, mean, I really thought they'd be a more competitive team this year. And then the Hawks are right above them. But uh, there's plenty to unpack here in today's show. Uh, we'll definitely get to probably at the end of, uh, the game breakdown. We'll talk about Daniel Sprong a lot because we got to go over the trade that brought him here. Marcus Petterson uh, is now a Pittsburgh penguin, much to the chagrin of many, many, many Pittsburgh Penguins fans after, uh, the Jeez. night that Daniel Sprong had on the ice for the first game with the ducks, um, uh, just to get things going here. Fowler and Eves will get updates for them as well. They um, Eves, I guess, has a broken rib, and along with back spasms, so that's not great for him. And then uh, Fowler is looking like a, it was a January comeback that they're talking about here.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think it's a, a January comeback for, for him. I'm not exactly uh, sure what they said. And, and I don't, I remember for sure, Perry, they said, was March. Uh, Eves was just indefinitely. They have no idea back. And I think it was about a month, yeah. Uh, they're going to reevaluate Fowler after Christmas. So, late December, early January.
0: So, we'll talk a little bit more about how that might affect the lineup here as we look at it today. um, After we get through this show, Gibbons, Walensky, and Street all scratched on the night. Uh, The Ducks heading into this game with one regulation loss in their last nine games. You would think that is a a statistic that tells you how great a team is right now. But uh, this team... I mean, man, they're winning one goal game after one goal game, uh, pulling a four goal, uh, come back out of nowhere, You know, scoring a goal at the end of regulation and then right in overtime if they did against the Oilers um, and then pulling it off against Carolina. This team is just finding ways to win in games they have no business winning, which will definitely lead us to I'm sure there's questions about Randy Carlisle at some point yeah. uh, in the, the post game show. We'll have to get to that. But uh, let's start getting into this first period, man. Um, like we said to start the opening here, the the ducks just came out flying. I, I it was it was awesome. I was like, holy hell, this team can play. They seem to have all kinds of energy going. Um, you know, Gibby had to make a decent save against Brandon Sod off the bat on the backhand here. But uh, I mean, do you really want to talk about the fight that happened? Oh, wait, hold on for YouTube. The yeah. the fight in quotes as I'm. Yeah, yeah, it was, that was it a, a h- wrestling match. Hug fest. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it uh, it had good intentions. It, it could have been a good fight because Hayden's a big kid and, and Dachin has a little bit of a mean streak. But uh, Dachin, the way he kind of went into that fight, he just wrapped himself around uh, Hayden and pulled him down to the ice, and it uh, it lasted a whole four or five seconds. So it wasn't really much of a, a scrap. Um, I was hoping for more, but uh, it kind of, of I was like, here too. we go,
0: here we go, here we go, here we go. Someone's going to get this going, and then... Well, it was kind of out okay. of
1: nowhere, too, because nothing really that led to the fight, and they, they just kind of decided to drop the gloves.
0: Didn't the broadcast say, uh, like, you could feel it coming along? or he, They said something, I thought, along the lines where they
1: were almost, like, expecting it. wasn't much of a fight, honestly. It uh, Like we said, it was kind of a wrestling fest between Dodgian and Hayden. Um, again, you kind of expected that to maybe be more of a scrap and and maybe things would continue from there. That was really the pinnacle of nastiness in this game. There really wasn't much after that, but uh, like you said, uh, Gibby does deny sod on the backhand and then the fight was what we saw earlier on and that led to the first goal of the game, which kind of spelled the night that Crawford was going to have. Uh, Brandon Montour just kind of throws it on net from the blue line, and uh, I guess it's Ricard Raquel in front of the net who really provides the screen that that uh, fools Corey Crawford, and the puck flies by him, but it's just a floater that really just goes over the shoulder of Crawford into the top corner, and uh, a, a great effort. The Ducks were started pretty well. They had a lot of offensive chances, and it's just, uh, you know, just throw towards the net if you're Brandon Montour, and uh, you get lucky a bit on this one. I actually thought Raquel Got a piece of it to begin with, but uh good things happen cliche when you throw the puck to the net, and Brandon Montoy gets his third of the year.
0: oh uh, no, it was great to see Monty Monty definitely deserved that that goal there um I mean just a great start there for Anaheim as well the traffic in front, and uh, they were able to get the one on the board
1: yeah, and uh didn't take too long after that. I think it was just I think just under a minute or maybe just over a minute later uh the new guy. Daniel Sprong, coming out hot in this game. He looked great all game, but, I mean, this shot was perfect. It was uh, over the shoulder of Corey Crawford, who decided to, for some reason, just sit in the butterfly uh, and try and make that save. And Sprong, from almost at the red line, picks the top corner. And, uh, I mean, this is a great start from him. He was buzzing. He looked really good with Adam Henrique and Nick Ritchie all night. Picks his spot. And uh, you, you can't dream of a better spot for the guy. And it always seems like when the Ducks bring in these guys and there's a little bit of hype around them, it always they always end up scoring in their first game or, do, or just making a, a good effort to, to look really good in this game. I mean, remember, Maxim in his first game of the year, he scores. Daniel Sprung doesn't take him long to get his first as a Duck. Uh, just a great effort, and the Ducks had a, an early 2 nothing lead. Yeah, no, man, that was great to see him get on the board
0: there, too. I mean, that just pissed off every Pittsburgh Penguin fan possible. They were, they were uh, quote, tweeting us constantly after he yeah. was able to pick the on Crawford. That's probably something that Crawford would definitely want to have back, no?
1: Oh, yeah, probably both of them. The first goal that Montour had, he probably wants that one back. And this one is just him cheating and uh, coming out. To, it, it just wasn't a great effort from him. I, I mean, he was coming out. And and really was challenging that in an awkward position. So uh, a tough one for him. Uh, So Sprong had another chance after this in front. Uh, He was great all game. Like we said, he was buzzing on that second line with Adam Henrique and Nick Ritchie. A lot going on for him. Andre Cash a surprised emotion to the fourth line. The fact that he was able to create havoc on a lot of different plays probably a guy we didn't expect to get put on the fourth line but when you have Auberg playing so well and you want to give Daniel Sprong that shot after trading for him uh, Auberg was kind of the odd man out to get put down at the fourth line but he was creating chances him uh, Sherwood and Rowney was an interesting line and uh, having the three of them down there uh, especially you know we, we talked about how Sherwood is kind of a mix in the way he plays of Andre Kasha and, and Andrew Cogliano so you've got those two energy guys down there, and especially the way Carter Rowney also has been playing. You've got three guys who can really spark some energy on that fourth line. So, I mean, they look great. They, they were manhandling the Chicago defense, as you put it in the notes, and, and they, they did a really good job of creating pressure because uh, they were out against Chicago's fourth line for most of the night. So it was a, a pretty good mismatch for the Ducks. Um, and then you get to about halfway through the first. Ducks are up 2 nothing, And not only that, they're out shooting Chicago 9-1. to uh, I mean, this is something we haven't seen lately. And again, Chicago isn't necessarily a great team, but uh, anytime you, you're not getting completely outshot in the game, uh, if you're the Ducks, it's always a good thing. Um, Larson, after this, he takes a, a high sticking minor, which kind of uh, sidelines the momentum a bit, throws it a bit back in Chicago's favor. Uh, a little bit of nice puck movement from from the Blackhawks, but they really couldn't cash in on the power play. Um, Gibby has to make a decent save, a couple big saves. Uh Dylan Strom looked pretty good in this game. Hit a couple posts and, and forced Gibson to make a, a pretty big save to finish out the or to about the middle point of the first period. Uh Josh Mahura drawing back in for this game as well. Can you hear me? Yep. I'm back. J- J- Josh Mahap. <laughs> <laughs> Josh Mahura drawing in for this game too. Uh, some nice patience down below. He had a couple good chances this, in this game. Not a big difference you can really see from him uh, and Marcus Pedersen. That's why it was it was kind of, uh, you know, we'll get more into the trade later, but uh, jo- what Josh Mahura brings uh, is good enough right now to fill in for, for what you're getting from Marcus Patterson. And We, we kind of knew what you're going to get from Marcus Pedersen, and I think whether you have Jakob Larson or Josh Mahura, you're not really missing out on too much.
0: Whether you have Jacob Larson or Josh Mahura, I mean, yeah. I think I would rather go the route of uh, of Josh Mahura right now. I think Larson's kind of, he's he's been getting better, but he probably hasn't been um, somebody that stood out as a great player. You know? I mean, if you're going to pick between the two, maybe we haven't given Mahura long enough time on the in the lineup to make the same mistakes, but um, I think that he has the potential to be a much better defenseman.
1: No, I think so, and uh, he's looked pretty good since coming back into the lineup, so it, uh, it hasn't been surprising that the Ducks, and, and this is no offense to Marcus Patterson, but it hasn't been surprising that they haven't necessarily missed what he brought to the lineup. It's not like he brought anything that the Ducks couldn't replace from, from within. Um, the Hawks the kind of finishing out the first. They got some chances here and there, but it really was a first period dominated by the Ducks. Uh, a lot of good pressure early on, uh, they, they, they faltered a bit uh, with after Larson taking the high-sticking penalty, gave a little bit of momentum back to the Blackhawks, but um, uh, an amazing first 15 minutes, I guess you would say, by the Ducks, and then uh, kind of getting careless for the last 5, but they do outshoot, out-shoot the Blackhawks 12-8, to come out of the first nothing. Uh, I guess probably the best first period you could ask for, really. Not not much else, uh, maybe just not slumping in the last five minutes and kind of keeping the pressure throughout would have been better, but one of the better uh, first periods the Ducks have had over the last five games.
0: Oh, easily. It was easily their best period that they've had in a long time. It was that jump. They kind of got a little careless at the end of the first period. I felt like uh, the power plays didn't really help their cause with uh, maintaining momentum, um. Did you talk a little bit about the craziness that happened in front of Gibson at all? Because I couldn't hear you for I don't know five minutes. <laughs> no, and people couldn't hear you for like eight minutes. So this has been uh, quite the comeback podcast after five days off. Um, apologize to you guys on that. Uh, I, I'll I'll tell you what happened later. Eddie is frustrating. Um, speaker sucks. YouTube but, has uh, no
1: idea what you're talking about, so don't worry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so YouTube was able to Harris the whole time, just Spreaker yeah. huh? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we're all good then. Um, we'll we'll fix the audio file on speaker. But you you didn't get a chance to talk about that whole thing that happened in front of Gibby, where uh, I mean it was a scramble in front. Uh, Aubrey knocks the puck out of the crease after it hits the crossbar, and then the shot comes back again, and he's able to get in front of it, and it goes to the corner. Um, Mike Coppinger on uh, on Twitter said that it looked like. Brandon Manning hit Auburn with a headshot in the corner, and that's what that's what teed yeah. uh, Manson off. I didn't see the clear headshot at all. I know that, that Auberg was slow to get up, but um, it was just nobody wants to mess with Josh Manson lately. I don't understand what's going on with no one wanting to fight Manson. I guess he's just got you know some sort of mean streak <laughs> that uh, he needs to release, and nobody wants to go with him. I wonder if he if that's finally going to happen here. Because uh, I feel like Josh is just chomping at the bit to knock somebody's head off.
1: He is, yeah. He's he's kind of getting goaded into uh, a couple bad penalties. But it really does look like he just wants to get in a fight. And oh, he wanted to crush Hartman yeah, yeah. In, Na- in Nashville, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, with Hartman, it was a little bit worse. Because Hartman faked dropping the gloves, which uh, is such a cowardly play. But yeah. uh, Manning, I don't think he wanted anything. To, he didn't even look like he wanted to fight at all. It was, I, I couldn't really see the hit, and when I did see it, I didn't think it was necessarily dirty. I'm not sure if he caught Aubrey's head or not. Um, Manson obviously thought he did because he oh, was yeah. really upset with it, but yeah, you could tell Manning obviously didn't think he did anything wrong. and He wanted no piece of... Josh Manson had his gloves down before I think Brandon Manning even got up, so he was ready to go and he, he wanted to fight he So picked He picked him
0: all the way back up. I was like, yeah. no, we're going to go. <laughs> Man- Manning's a tough
1: kid. Yeah, He's a guy that like, will we'll throw the gloves down and, and engage in a fight every now and then but uh he's
0: the notorious player who injured Connor mcdavid yeah and broke his collarbone right
1: yeah and then
0: apparently there was some words between the two the next season saying he did it on purpose and mcdavid wasn't happy about that at all so Listen, yeah i, I wouldn't May- want to
1: be the guy who fights uh josh manson next he looks like he just wants to rip somebody's head off so
0: Oh, dude, for sure. So that's how we'll end the, the first period since you kind of ran through all of it as my audio issues were, were going on here. Um, we're all good to go now, though, right? I won't get both of us on YouTube, so we're solid here. Um, looking at the second period, Ducks come out buzzing around Crawford again. Uh, Mahura had a great chance in the beginning of this period, but uh, shot it right in the chest of Corey Crawford. Uh, he's able to gobble it up pretty easy, and then you can just feel it from this fourth line, man. That that Sherwood, Rowney, and Kasha line. I was actually disappointed to see Kasha on the fourth line in uh, in the pregame. I was like, why would they put that guy on the fourth line? He's such a beast, and he's yeah. so fast, and generating chances. But uh, this line was just straight up on fire all night. And I mean, you could, I couldn't even count how many chances they had watching the game. I just i knew every time they had the puck, all three of those guys have speed, so it just really worked out for the Ducks.
1: Well, I, I mean, we've talked about Andre Cash on how he's a, a buzzsaw and he's a spark plug. Anytime you put him on a line, he's going to get that line going. And uh, he, he did that when he was put with Adam Henrique, he did that when he was put with Getzlaff and Raquel, and then you throw him on the fourth line, and, and yeah, he gets limited opportunities, but he's still going to be that same type of player. He doesn't really change his game no matter where he's put. He, he plays the same style, plays an up-tempo, uh, high-energy, high, high pace game of hockey, which pays off no matter where you're playing and no matter how many moves mm-hmm. you're playing. And then you throw him with Kiefer Sherwood, who's almost like Andre Cash a light. Maybe just, uh, maybe, again, uh, we've said Andrew Cogliano light. He's a little bit of a mix of both. Um, and you throw them with him, and you got both of those guys flying around there, and Carter Rowney, the way he's playing right now, uh, it, it had all the makings to be a high-energy line. I didn't think they would be as good as they were, and obviously Andre Cacha uh, ends up getting a goal later on, but uh, they were really good. I, I would venture to say they were either the best line for the Ducks or close to it if you want to maybe say Henrik or Richie and, and Sprong were the best line.
0: So just to give you a little sample of the scoring chances uh, for the Ducks when Kiefer Sherwood is on the ice, uh, he made sure that uh, it was far and few between when the puck was in the Ducks zone. I mean, 13 chances to five when he was on the ice, five on five. So that fourth line, man, if you want to call it a fourth line, uh, I mean, I don't think you can at that point. They were so they were so good Um, coming up after this, though, the Ducks kind of fumbled the puck a bit. And the Hawks get a 2-1-1 that uh, luckily was blown a little bit on a, on I I don't know. It wasn't a really accurate pass, but Henry came all the way back on the back check to break that up as well. Uh, Keith ends up holding up Cogliano going back the other way. Hawks take a penalty. And then uh, here we go on the Ducks. Lovely, amazing power play. And I think um, my, uh, my little note here says, wow, what a shit power play. Because the Ducks had to turn the puck over here. Lindholm gets his little... His little intro zones, uh, little dangles intercepted there by Taves. Taves goes the other way. I mean, credit to Lindholm, though. He gets all the way back and kind of has to angle off Taves. But uh, Gibby had no problem uh, swallowing up the the puck there. But how do we fix this, man? (laughs) How do we fix this power play? They could bury one a game or come close. I just feel like they can't even get the puck set up.
1: Yeah, when they do and when they get controlled zone time, it's always perimeter passes. Uh, it, oh, the yeah. Ducks' power play will look good to the extent that they just have sustained zone time. It doesn't mean it actually looks good. It just looks good compared to what it you know what it we're normally used to, which is a pile of crap, and they can't even enter the zone cleanly. So when they get any controlled zone time whatsoever, it looks somewhat decent. But then you catch a game where you look at one of the top five power plays in the league, and you look at how they move the puck and and how clean it is. I mean, Carolina was a good example. The last uh, game we did for the podcast, when we were talking about how how smoothly the Carolina power play moves the puck, and and it's all cross ice passes, and they're they're setting guys up in front of the net or behind the net, and it's just a lot smoother, and and it's just easy zone entries for them too. It, it's it's a, it's a complete different style and it's a complete different setup for the Ducks. I I, I think just whoever's running the power play at this moment, I I think it's. Marty Wilford, I'm not 100% sure. I know he's in charge of the defense. I'm not sure who's directly in charge of, of the power play, but it's not working at this point. Uh, I mean, the Ducks aren't scoring a lot of goals to begin with, but uh, they have the talent to be scoring on the power play. It's just the the setup that they have going and what they're trying to do on the power play, that's that's a mess. I, I mean, the, the drop pass to begin with is, is awful. It's, it's an, an awful way to enter the zone. Because not only do you give the the opposing team time to set up, uh, you've now got a four man wall that you have to try and get through at the blue line, and about fifty percent of the time, it gets picked off or it, it doesn't go. The chip pass off the boards doesn't go to the guy you wanted to, and it, it's an easy dump out. So there's a lot of things they have to work on, but I think it all starts with a clean zone entry.
0: Yeah, and you have to have the the you know the uh, the puck carrier bring it in of the blue line and set it up, unless you have a really tenacious forecheck on the power play. It's almost inexcusable to be dumping the puck in over and over and over again, right, to get it set up because essentially what you're doing is giving the other team the puck at that point if you don't have guys to get in there and grab it. Now, I mean, if you have uh, Andre Kasha out there on the power play and it's a set play where you know he's going to beat you know 9 out of 10 guys to the puck in the corner in the offensive zone, then maybe you could do that. But uh, if, if you don't have that and you just have a bunch of guys out there that are of the average speed, you should be carrying the puck in over the blue line. And uh, the Ducks just haven't been able to figure it out. Yeah. But uh, that power play goes away, and then this is where the Hawks get back into the game. Gustafson with a one timer. Keith fakes the shot after he receives an incredible pass down low. I think it was by Patrick Kane. Yeah, just a hell of a backhander along the along the end wall goes right to Keith at the top of the slot. A little half slap shot fake pat or fake shot pass to Gustafson who blows it by John Gibson. No chance. Gibby totally bit on Keith holding that puck because he was so at the top of his crease and looking around the side, trying to get around the players. By the time he looked back, it was too late. And uh, all of a sudden, it's 2-1.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is what where I was talking about earlier where you're saying that the Blackhawks, as bad as they've been, they still have some great players on their team and they, they still have uh, enough skill and enough talent to hurt you on these occasions. And then this is where you've got two of their best players in, in Patrick Kane. And Duncan Keith, who set up Eric Gustafson for just an easy goal. I mean, like you said, it's a great pass behind the net by Patrick Kane. And then a, a very experienced, patented slot pass, fake shot from Duncan Keith over to Eric Gustafson. Who, at that point, Gibson's bit on the fake shot from Duncan Keith. And you can't blame him because it was a great play. Uh, and it's just a, a freebie basically for for Eric Gustafson to throw it into the open now Gibson does all he can to try and get over but if you miss that one um no matter who you are Eric Gustafson or Patrick Kane if you miss that one uh you're gonna be hearing it on the bench that that was an easy goal for them to get back into the game
0: yeah I kind of felt like Gibby probably should have had that but then when I saw the replay like, oh, he totally committed to the puck not being passed down there so either way Ducks um Get the lead cut down to you know by one here. Now it's a two-one game, and I felt like the, the both teams were looking for that home run pass a lot. I noticed that in the second period, the Hawks started looking for that stretch pass, and I think uh, I think even Hayward asked uh, the, the 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 Hawks coach, "Are you guys looking to, to stretch the ice?" And he's like, "Oh well, yeah, we're trying to trying to catch them off guard and get that stretch pass." You know, both teams are doing that, so a lot going on through the rest of the second period is you see a lot of chances every single time that uh, Daniel Sprong is on the ice. That kid can fly, by the way. I didn't realize how fast of a player he was. Uh, it was it was really impressive to see him be able to carry the puck. And honestly, he looked confident with the puck too, Eddie. I, I didn't see him look out of
1: place in this game at all. I think he was just happy to finally be getting a chance to play in the top six. Uh, I mean, this is a guy who was billeted to be a top six forward for a very long time. Uh, and then Pittsburgh just wasn't happy with with I, what I from what I heard it was the way he played defense and the way he committed to the back check. Um, so they were playing him on the fourth line. They were playing him like uh, when we did the reaction video for the trade. I said that they were playing him seven to ten minutes a night. Mm-hmm. On most occasions, it was especially recently, it was below ten minutes a night. He's not getting any opportunities, and the guys he's playing with, are, I, I didn't check for sure, but I'm assuming on Pittsburgh's fourth line, you're looking at like Derek Grant and guys like that that he had to be playing with. A huge upgrade <laughs> to put him with Adam Henrique, and they just seemed to gel throughout the entire night. But yeah, he he had underrated speed that I really didn't know he had because he was a bigger guy. Um, he didn't really doesn't really have the the body or the look of being a faster player, like when you look at like Andre Casio or Andrew Cogliano, a little bit of smaller, uh, leaner frame, and those guys who you generally look at to be faster. But, uh, yeah, I, w- I was surprised, and obviously the shot came as advertised with the, the goal that he had, and he was just all over the place. He was just, uh, again, we, we mentioned that Andre Cash is a spark plug, and, and uh, Sprong kind of seemed to be like that this game. He was uh, in a lot of... A, chances a lot of scoring chances for the ducks he probably could have had two or three goals in this game oh easily where he was involved there's a couple times where they had crawford sprawling on the ice and they just couldn't find the puck and, and of course it was Sprong who was in and around that
0: was it uh was it the second or third period where he i think he took a penalty right he took a tripping call and then he gets out of the box gets the puck and realizes he gets kind of stuck in the zone, takes it all the way back out, circles all the way yeah. back out. Smart play by him to reset the offense. And then holy hell, that guy was just he just started crossover after crossover after crossover. Takes just it by himself, just, yeah.
1: All the just way up. Fly
0: into the neutral zone, back into the hawk zone. A, a really impressive night for Sprong for sure. Um, and when he scored, man, he didn't it just didn't the reaction just kinda he didn't even have a huge grin on his face. He just Okay, I've yeah. been here, done that. Right? It yeah. just uh very calm night for him. I, I wonder if that's the way he's going to be the whole time. But uh, good, good showing for uh, for Sprong for sure. Going through this second period, um, I felt like any time the Kane line was on the ice, they just kind of did whatever the hell they wanted uh, to the Ducks. It just seemed like whenever the Ducks put Kessler out against the Taves line, um, did he play a lot with Kane? Was it were they on the same line the most tonight?
1: Taves and Kane—they're on separate lines.
0: On separate lines, okay. I thought that they put them together at some point. But uh, I felt like Kessler's line got eaten up every time that uh, that Taze was on the ice, too. Not really impressive to me. Um, but Kane looked dangerous all night, man. And uh, I remember thinking in my head, like, where has this guy been? Like, he's he's supposed to be one of the top players in the league. And, um, I mean, it just showed you that it, it, <laughs> he might just not be having the outstanding year. But he looked dangerous every time he had the puck tonight.
1: Yeah, and Patrick Kane is still having a decent year point-wise. Maybe not up to the standards where you expect from him. Uh, but he's still very good. I, I believe he's sitting over 25 points, if not more. Oh, which yeah. I, which it at just... this point, he's still close to a point per game on a very bad team. He's still the go-to guy. I mean, you look at the, the pass, this, the, it's a secondary assist, but the pass to set up Duncan Keith for the, the Blackhawks' first goal, that doesn't happen if you don't have a player like Patrick Kane who can make that type of play from behind the net. So uh, it, it's, it sucks for him. I don't feel bad for him because of how good the Blackhawks, Blackhawks have been for the last decade, so I'm not feeling too bad for him that the Blackhawks are bad this year, and he's got to kind of slog his way through it, Um, but he's been on a line, um, I think, up until recently. I don't think they were together for the entire game, but the last few games since they brought over Dylan Strome, it was Strome, Dabrinkit, and Evander Kane, which is an interesting line because probably the two best offensive guys for the Blackhawks are Dabrinkit and Kane, and they kind of showed it in this game again, and with uh, Kane heavily centering it in the first goal and obviously to bring it getting the second goal. So that's a, that's a deadly combination. Like I said, the Blackhawks have the skill and talent still to, to hurt you. They don't do it as often as they used to, but they still have those guys out there that if you make a mistake, they'll make you pay. Well, he has 30 points in 27 games. So he is having a hell of a
0: season so far, right? 13 goals. I'm just, I'm just not used to seeing him, you know, as much, obviously Uh, on the highlight, reel, you get all the young guys. Now, now that Kane's an, an, an older player, Right. He's he's not he's not uh, 21 or 22. He's 30. So, uh, no, I was impressed every time he was out on the ice. But uh, you got to talk a little bit here about uh, that kid to bring cat, man. Like, I know you said a little bit of, of how he's been playing, but did he come out of nowhere? Because I feel like he's he's been flying too. he had a good season last year um and, and he forced Gibby to make a huge stop in this game I felt like uh if there was a little more on that shot Gibson probably would have not have made that toe save on DeBrinket there in the second period
1: yeah that that should have been a goal and I think it was just rolling and bouncing a bit so DeBrinket couldn't get uh everything behind it but uh yeah I mean when you when you mentioned like did this guy kind of come out of nowhere he, he kind of did a bit and and he him and Dylan Strom who it's ironic they play in the same team now but they were both victims of the Connor McDavid effect uh, in Erie <laughs> because there was always questions about are these guys actually good or are they good because they're playing with Connor McDavid Dylan Strom was a victim of that and still ended up getting drafted uh, third overall by the Coyotes. He's now find his way his way in Chicago after struggling there and those are all questions that still revolve around him and Dylan uh, De had the same type of thing. Is, is Is he good, or was he good because he was playing with Dylan Strome? Well, he's proven, before Dylan Strome has even proven it, that uh, he's a very good young player, uh, and he's a goal scorer in this league. and uh, He's a, a very, very quick player, too, and you pair him with, uh, with Patrick Kane, and it's a dangerous line any time they're on the ice, so... Uh, he's going to be a good player for the Blackhawks for a long time. Unfortunately, uh, he'll be their go-to guy whenever Patrick Kane decides to move on or if it, if he ends up uh, leaving the Chicago Blackhawks at any time. DeBrinckit's going to be their go-to guy.
0: Yeah, and, and you mentioned Dylan Strome. That kid, um, high expectation in Arizona. He never kind of developed there into being the player they thought he was going to be early. Uh, it's not like he's an old kid. He's an old guy now. He's still a kid. So a change of scenery has is, is, uh, been, a, been a bright spot for him, right? I mean, he's only played a handful of games for the Hawks, but he looked dangerous every time he was on the ice tonight, too. Yeah. Uh, Ducks kind of getting lucky tonight, man. We mentioned a little bit of hitting post. Gustafson would rip one off the post, too. I don't think Gibson would have ever been able to uh, stop that. It was a perfectly placed shot, almost, right? Just hit the outside of the post. Yeah. and went I don't think Gibby ever saw it. But then the Hawks would, t- uh, would tie the game up, and it would be – kitty cat as uh taves calls him it was his kitty it was his nickname to uh it just it was i don't know man it was able to take the puck off his body off a deflected pass from taves knock it down and then pretty much out of midair as he's falling whack it by john gibson no chance
1: yeah we just talked about uh Debrinkin and what he can do in the offensive skill he possesses but to be able to corral this puck off your body and uh kind of just chop it into the net while falling backwards i mean that takes a lot of skill and, and that's one of the reasons that uh he's involved in these types of situations why he's on the ice with 30 seconds left playing with brendan Sod and jonathan Taves, because he's a guy on a regular basis who puts the puck in the back of the net he's got 11 goals on the season which is a great year for him he's on pace to hit somewhere around 30 so that's uh for a guy who was drafted in the second round and, and who arguably probably should have been a first-round pick, that's uh, something that the Blackhawks probably didn't expect, and now to have him potentially going to reach that mark is, is huge for them. It's not so much you know going to be big for them this year, but knowing that he can do that um, on a bad team, imagine when this team eventually gets good again, and if he's a focal point of that offense, uh, he's going to be a really dangerous player.
0: That was a back-breaking goal, right? 27 seconds left. Yeah. And you got to find a way to not let a team score in the last minute. That just sucks momentum right out of you. And it would be apparent in the third period because the Ducks just kind of sat back um, in the third period a little bit. I feel like the Hawks came out with more energy, played a much better second half of the game. But uh, going back and forth here, man, you know who never stopped skating was Andre Kasha, that guy, dude, to still buzzing all over the ice again. Um, to start the third period, strong first shifts actually by the Ducks, but uh, it's after they get this goal here, and who would else would it be other than Andre Kasha, And it was assisted by his linemates Carter Rowney and Kiefer Sherwood. They both get the assist, but it was like an aerial pass over the middle of the ice. Brandon Manning tried to catch it and missed, banks off the board, and that uh, you know that ridiculous speed by Kasha is able to come in off the wing there on Crawford and rip it short side high.
1: This is another one that Corey Crawford probably wants back to. Uh, all three goals were tough ones for him to let in. Uh, this is kind of similar, like they mentioned in the broadcast, to to Sprong's goal. It's from the same side of the ice, obviously not as far down as where Sprong was. But oh, yeah,
0: no, it, it wasn't the same kind yeah, of ridiculous angle.
1: Crawford looked like he was in a decent enough position to make that stop. It You know, it's not like... Andre Kasher ripped it to a you know the top corner, and he only had that small hole to make. Uh, Corey Crawford seemed to be in a decent position, but Kasher just kind of throws it right through him, and and Crawford doesn't get enough piece of it. I don't know if he lost sight of it at some point, but uh, yeah, not a great look for him. But Andre Kasher finally making uh, making cashing in, I guess you could say. Uh, for the good play that that fourth line had put out, and I kept putting out all night that he's not your average fourth liner, because he he really isn't. He's not a guy you expect to be on the fourth line. He's a guy that we ticketed to play uh, on a consistent basis with Ryan Getzlaff and and Ricard Raquel, and somehow he found himself on the fourth line, but uh, he's not the type of guy to sit there and and wallow in the fact that he's not getting uh, as many minutes as he's used to. He's going to Go on, every time he gets a shift, he's going to uh, create chances and generate offense, and he does that in this play too. And it's a huge goal; it's a, the the go ahead goal too. I mean,
0: it wasn't as beautiful as a shot as uh, perhaps the best release in hockey. You know, Austin Matthews in overtime against <laughs> Buffalo the other night. Eddie definitely wasn't a toe drag snipe release like that, but it was a hell of a play by Andre Kasha there to get the go ahead goal and. You know, it honestly be a lot of the Hawks going back against the Ducks. The you know, Ducks kind of weren't able to get things going. Sloppy play. I mean, Auberg just kind of lofting a slow little pass back across his own blue line to nobody. Turns it into a Hawks, you know, chance that way. I mean, if the Pittsburgh Penguins were concerned about Daniel Sprong being a defensive liability, and the Ducks have uh, Auberg on the team, if he could just not be as of a, much of a liability as Auberg, they're going to be fine. Yeah, Because <laughs> every time Aubrey's on the ice and he doesn't have the puck flying in the offensive zone, he makes me nervous, man. Um, hey, he I don't made know a what it is.
1: diving save off the off the goal line today. So he, made, <laughs> oh, he yeah, automatically redeems himself for, for any defensive miscues that he's made up until that point.
0: <laughs> well, the most exciting thing that would happen here prior to the empty netter would be Jonathan Tay's off the rush with a beautiful move, I think, at the blue line, was able to uh, make a play and ring one off the post uh, again. John Gibson uh, better be you know kissing all those posts before he leaves for the night because they saved uh, the Ducks' butts tonight for uh, for sure. Um, they had four, right? It was uh, DeBrincat, Taze, Gustafson, and then... Strome. Who am I missing? Strome and Strom at the post, too. So uh, a hell of a night for the post in Anaheim. And then uh, with Crawford pulled... Silverberg stops a Patrick Kane, like dump a tip in at center ice. And then was able to walk in all alone and bury it. Sealed the deal. Four to two ducks. Take home the much needed victory. Cause, uh, man, it's, it's been positive hockey for us night after night. Now five games in a row, dude, it's been nice to not come here and you know, rip what little hair I have left on top of my head and go, what the hell are we going to do to not be, uh, down in the pits again tonight?
1: It doesn't feel like the the start of the season either where the Ducks were winning games, but it was like you could tell that they didn't deserve to win them. I think they deserve to win this game. Um, you could argue uh, about the last game, but I think when anytime you come back from down 5-1 and win, you probably deserve to win that game. Uh, the Carolina game, I think they played really well as well. So they, they've actually been playing some pretty good hockey and, and probably if you look at the the final outcome, deserve to win a lot of those games where you couldn't really say that at the beginning of the season. So things have started trending in the right direction. I don't even know what really has changed. It doesn't really look like much has changed, right? Like it doesn't... They're still playing the same system. They're just playing better. And it's such a cop-out to say that and it really doesn't give any sort of explanation to why they're playing better. Uh, but they just are. They just look better. They They look... Like they're starting to figure it out. They're playing faster. You look at the fact that well, when you have Kiefer Sherwood, Andre Akasha, Daniel Sprong, those types of guys in your lineup, and they're buzzing around, Pontus Aberg as well, uh, they've just generally picked up the pace of this team, and you've got guys contributing that you didn't necessarily expect to. And I mean, nobody expected Pontus Aberg to be the leading goal scorer on the Ducks. Um, and, and Off mean, waivers. <laughs> yeah, meanwhile, Ricard Raquel is the guy who's struggling, and. You bring in Daniel Sprong, and he scores in his first game, and you you have Andre Kasher, you put him on the fourth line, and he still manages to score. So the Ducks are getting scoring from from guys you don't necessarily expect to get it, and they're just playing better as a team. And, And, you know, they still have some key pieces of the lineup. Patrick Eves is out, like we mentioned at the beginning of the show. Cam Fowler is still out. Corey Perry is out until March. I mean, these are big pieces of the team that are still out, and the Ducks are finding ways to win games.
0: No, it's been it's been a, a fun ride. I, I got a lot of hell at my own house on Sunday because I wore a T shirt before the Ducks game, a Ducks uh, Caps game. I had my my uh, Ovechkin laying in bed with the Stanley Cup shirt, and I wore it for the game on purpose to kind of hope that uh, that he would just play yeah. terrible, right? Like I'm just gonna wear the enemy's shirt and they go up and it's five one, and I'm sitting there going, "Oh my god!" And then Dave and and uh, was just giving it to me like, "Dude, you why are you wearing OV shirt?" And then they came back and won. I was like, that's why, dude, because I knew they were going to pull it off. Clearly, they were going to come back and uh, be the comeback kids, right, from, what, a few seasons ago. But uh, you're right. I don't know what the difference is. I just know that uh, I still don't like Randy Carlisle, and
1: uh, I, I'm not going to give him any sort of credit to turning this team around. No. I. I <laughs> we, we talked about this on the last podcast. No free pass. And, and we're we're trying to say what Randy Carlisle was doing right and uh, what – you know we couldn't really think of anything it was more so what uh, he was doing wrong and that's what we we're always focused on but there really wasn't anything that he's necessarily doing good it's just there's some things that he's not just sucking at or doing awful at and the ducks are managing to win games but uh yeah i i still think he, you know he's gonna get some credit and maybe he deserves a little bit of credit for for figuring out i mean the ducks have won five straight i don't think it's he, he should just get completely absolved of that fact. I mean, he's been a part of it, so uh, maybe he'll get... One regulation credit. loss is the last 10 now, Eddie. He's not going anywhere, dude. Well, I, I don't think yeah. <laughs> and and after early on, especially after the seven-game uh, losing streak and when other coaches started to get fired and he was still there, uh, I kind of resigned to the fact that he was going to be here all year. I mean, you, you lose seven straight, you're getting other coaches fired for less and he's still here uh you knew he was going to be around after that
0: well let's talk about the post game stuff that we got to get into the marcus peterson trade for daniel sprong Um uh, many uh, across the board would say this is a home run for bob murray on the trade that uh you know he, he was able to deal from a position of depth on defense and pick up a, a need which was a uh, you know, secondary scoring getting a young player who was highly touted right um coming up through the ranks here and getting to the NHL, and it's not quite performing. But as you mentioned, not getting the minutes on a team where he probably could have performed much better had he played with some of the top offensive players in Pittsburgh. And then Marcus Pedersen, we kind of know what he is. Uh, what he is last year and this year, nothing wrong with it. He's a depth defenseman. Uh, he's a 5th sixth guy, and that's just kind of the way his career is uh, at least started. Maybe he goes up a little bit, maybe gets a little better. But I think we would have seen that from him by now. And with the Ducks having Jacob Larson and Josh Mahura uh, being able to play up in the lineup, there really wasn't a need anymore. Um, I thought it was a good trade. And then to have the upside of of, uh, Daniel Sprong be a top six guy, I think that's even better for uh, for Bob Murray and the Ducks.
1: Yeah, uh, you're dealing again from a position of strength when you look at the, the fact that the Ducks are pretty much loaded on the left side still. Uh, you know, Cam Fowler's still out of the lineup, but when everybody's healthy, you've got your top two always set is Lindholm and Fowler. And then from there on, you you had, you had Pedersen, you had even Jacob Magnet, you had Josh Mahura, you've got Jacob Larson. You've got four options before you dealt Pedersen on that bottom pairing left D slot. Uh, and then on the right side, you know, you, you could eventually, play, if you wanted to, play Larson on his off wing, but the Ducks usually like to go three lefties and three righties if they can. And now you've got Jake Dotson up, and you've got uh, Josh Manson and Brandon Montour, and you still got Andy Walensky. The Ducks had enough assets in place to make the move. And, and you know, they looked at a team like Pittsburgh, who is desperate to turn their season around and find some defensive help because they're struggling heavily there. You know, we talked about a few podcasts ago how they were looking at Brandon Montour, and the Ducks just didn't want to get uh, get rid of him. Uh, so they, they somehow settled on marcus petterson and, and swung for the fences by bringing in daniel sprong who has produced everywhere but the nhl at this point but not maybe being given the best opportunities in pittsburgh and you know he comes over makes an immediate impact and it, it's hard not to get excited at this point and you know you look at how well he, he's done in his first game and obviously scoring a goal you know there's a lot of hype there and you got to kind of tame it a bit because it's been one game and there's plenty that could happen and it, you know to want to say that he's already a top six guy and that he's going to put up twenty goals this year when we've only seen no, that's his high side. Yeah, we've only seen yeah. sixty minutes of it. But in, in in terms of the trade in general, I mean, the fact that you bring in a guy who's still fairly young, he's twenty one, who had some a, a, amazing success in the AHL last year, second in goals, one behind the, the eventual leader, fifth in points. Um, you know, he's he's had success in a very competitive league. And just wasn't getting good opportunities uh, in the NHL. You that you've got the recipe to for a guy to come in and do better than expected, and you know when you have a position of, of strength and in depth on lefty, and you could go and and make those types of trades. You know those are the those are the types of trades that when they when they pay off, they pay off huge, and they make a GM look great. And uh, Bob Murray loves these types of deals, and I'm glad he pulled it off because. Uh, very small sample size, but it looks good so far. Yeah, so, um,
0: you know, highly regarded prospect writer Corey Proman for The Athletic said that he gave the Ducks an A-minus of the trade. And Sprong, the Ducks, received a high-end talent who divides evaluators and fans alike. Sprong lit up the QMJHL and was one of the most dangerous scores in the AHL as a 20-year-old, right? Yeah. Just hasn't produced here, like you said. And then what he says about uh, Penguins getting Marcus Pedersen, they got a C C+. Uh, they traded a prospect who uh, was at times divisive and other times exciting. They said uh, when you're talking about Marcus Pedersen, though, they get the opposite. He's not exciting. He's not dynamic, but he's steady. And yeah. he's going he's gonna to be a lower-end defenseman, which is fine. So yeah, interesting like,
1: trade. There's nothing wrong with Marcus Pedersen. I don't want to come across like that. No, I, we're not bashing him. No, at all. he's going to be left side. So it it just made sense. For them to go out and, and get that deal, it's unfortunate they had to deal Sprong, but the Penguins have moved a ton of assets lately to be competitive and to make the the cup runs that they had. Um, for them, I think this made sense to move Sprong because he was a guy that wasn't working out there, uh, and they had it's it's you know I think for them it made more sense to move a guy that hadn't worked out there than to move a guy you haven't even seen yet uh, in, in some of the guys they recently drafted. And you can't really move a key piece of your offense if you're looking to turn around your season and make a playoff push. So in the end, I think this was really the only guy they could have moved. Yeah, let's
0: ask uh, the St. Louis Blues about uh, defensive depth and how important and how, how important that is. They have all the offensive firepower it looked like going into this season in the world and uh, their defense is just brutal outside of Petriangelo and Colton Pareco. So you need it everywhere, right? Yeah. Um, you gotta have you gotta have a mix of um, of talent on you know all aspects of the game. You can't just have be top heavy unless you're the Toronto Maple Leafs. That's the only way you get away with it. And they're actually playing better defensively. I feel like too. It's kind of tough not to when you have a great two-way center and uh, and John Tavares, an elite-level guy.
1: Yeah, and you've got Freddie Anderson in net who's playing out of his mind as well. So if you've got one of the best offensive in the uh, offenses in the league, and then one of right now the top five goalies in the way that uh, Freddie Anderson's playing, you can get away with maybe having a you know a bottom (laughs) half of the league defense. Defense. You've (laughs) still got Morgan Riley, who's good and. It's not like everybody they have is bad. It's just they—they're no, not no. a Nashville defense. They're a—they're a bottom half of the league defense, which is insane.
0: But, That's yeah. the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the Ducks prospects going to the World Junior camps. I know you wanted to touch on that. You're a big World Juniors guy. That's—it's one of your favorite events in hockey, right? I mean, yeah. it's uh, easily right up there. I mean, would you rather watch that over the Olympics?
1: Uh, it's right now. Yeah, the way the Olympics are constituted <laughs> without NHL players, and even when NHL players are are at the Olympics, uh, the world juniors. I just love it. Um, you're seeing like the next generation stars come up, and and anytime you know growing up watching junior hockey, and anytime you see kids at this age, you know around eighteen, nineteen, twenty play, it's just great hockey. They're they're all out there having fun, but they're they're buzzing all over the place, and. You know when you you get to see guys like especially this year like Jack Hughes and Kapokako or in the past Connor McDavid and Sidney Crosby and, and all these guys play at that age and playing with the best guys in their age group, it's it's just a great tournament and and then now getting to see especially last year the, the amount of Ducks players that were at the tournament not as many this year but you still get to see some high end talent. Uh, it's always fun to watch how they do.
0: So. Who were the guys that we should be aware of going to uh, World Juniors here from the Ducks?
1: Yeah, so from I, I believe the, there's only four guys so far who are invited to, um, to the selection camp. So it's not the full rosters that have been determined yet, but it's uh, the 30- to 40-man selection camps that they submit out there. So the Ducks currently have two goaltenders. Uh, Ole Eriksson-Eck is back for Sweden. He's one of the three goalies they invited to camp he might actually be the starter this year. I believe he's the oldest of the three goalies that were invited. So there's a good chance that he could play obviously a lot bigger role than he did last year where he was really the third guy last year and didn't get really any opportunity to play. Uh, Lucas Dostal, the Dutch goaltender they drafted in last year's draft will be going for the Czech Republic. Um, has a chance to possibly start, but, uh, Jakob is a, is probably the, the billeted guy to be the number one unless Dostler can beat him out in camp. I'd be interested to see if he gets any starts at all because I just want to see how he can play in a big tournament like this because uh, he was a highly talented goaltender in last year's draft, but there really was no number one goaltender last year. So guys were going all over the place. He was the top-ranked European goaltender, but he ended up going, I think, third in European goaltenders in last year's draft. So he's a guy I want to look out for. And then obviously the the two big names are Maxim Comtois getting obviously sent back down to Drummondville. He's eligible and wasn't invited to the World Junior Camp for Canada. Uh, he's going to be a huge part of that team as one of the returning members from last year's gold medal team. Interested to see how he does, of course. And then Isaac Lindestrom, uh invited to Sweden's World Junior Camp, but has not... Uh, yet been given permission to to go and participate in the tournament by the ducks i would assume they would i don't see why they wouldn't at this point i think it's not that not him playing in the ahl is bad but you, you, he's going to want to go to the tournament and, and you don't really lose out on anything by sending him there and being he's going to be a big part of that team if he goes he's like oh and he's
0: going to want to go and yeah, he should right? he's
1: likely going to be a a the first line center uh, which he didn't have that opportunity last year because some of the players that were there, but this year he would, and, and it's really a good chance for him to put uh, his offense on display, I think, more so than he's been able to do in the AHL, and it's on a world stage, and that always helps. So um, those are the two big guys. I mean, the goaltenders would be interesting. To see. want to start with Twitter? Yeah, let's, let's start with... Uh, actually, let's start uh 'cause Because we have one in Reddit, so we'll just get that out of the way first because we have kind of discussed it a bit um so the, the well, we should lump all of our sprong questions into one did we have sprong ones uh other
0: places i'm sure well? we have them. i mean maybe just everywhere right we I'm sure we have them everywhere
1: <laughs> well if we get to it we'll, we'll get to it uh, at that point but uh, bird in the cup on reddit said what are your impressions on sprong and what do you think his intended role is i think we've kind of covered our impressions it, it, it was an impressive game from him uh, a lot, maybe not a lot more than I expected, but I definitely didn't expect him to come out this hot and be one of the Ducks' best forwards tonight because I think he was probably one of their top three forwards. Um, where do I think his role is going to be? Uh, I think uh, the way he played tonight with Henrik and Richie, I would have to assume he's, at least for the time being, locked down a spot on that line. Uh, but it's going to be tough to keep Andre Kasha down on the fourth line forever. So the Ducks mm-hmm. are kind of in an interesting position where... I think the battle then becomes um Sprong and Aberg and who beats out who for that top six spot because I think eventually Casha makes his way up to that top line with Getzlaf and Raquel and then if if it's either Sprong beating out uh Aberg to play with Henrik and Richie and then Auberg goes back down to the fourth line where we've seen him go at at times this year and it all depends on how how Sprong does, but I, I think uh I think the way he played tonight, he could start developing some chemistry with Henrik and eventually bump Abberg down.
0: I mean, look—the second one of these lines that uh, the blender churned out stops producing offense is when you see Kasha move back up. <laughs> you know, so that's what it's going to be. They'll pull him off the fourth line once there's a situation where someone's not scoring. Right? Um, the Ducks took advantage of a Hawks team that we we said is, is not very good anymore. So I feel like that's when you're going to get the uh, the line blender again and andre kosh is going to be shuffled to the top to spark offense elsewhere because that guy is just a catalyst for offense on the anaheim
1: yeah no for sure and it, it's going to be tough it's going to be tough to keep him down like i said especially tonight you put him on the fourth line and he still scores <laughs> he still finds a way to be uh, to, c- to contribute to the offense so it, it's going to be tough to keep him down there forever um, let's move to Facebook because we actually surprisingly have a lot on there this time, and we forgot Facebook last time, so we should probably uh, we should probably get to it this time. Uh, I get another question from Dave Rodriguez about Sprong. He said, "Do you feel like with Sprong in the lineup, the Ducks can more effectively roll four lines?"
0: Um, yeah, I do. I mean, if he's able to conti- to uh, contribute to the team in the way he, did, he he did tonight, even if you take out his goal. I didn't expect him to score tonight. There was a lot of angry people on uh, Forever Mighty Three Stars who said he wasn't going to score because I ended up doing that. But uh, I feel like, yeah, anytime you get a guy who's that dynamic, he has the speed. And that's what this team was supposed to be all about from the beginning of the season is, hey, we need to play faster, play faster. And then they always tried to they realized they weren't fast. And then they were like, "Oh well, it doesn't really mean skating fast. It means moving around fast. Like the puck goes fast, like quick plays." But now they have guys who play fast, and yeah. it shows, and that really does damage on the other team. And I think he fits right into the mold of that. And the fact that kids got a shot is just going to make everything better for Anaheim. I, I really feel like uh, that it is going to help Carlisle roll those four lines.
1: I, I think so. For me, I just I try and temper my my hype a little bit. Uh, because Very it's, small it's, sample size. Yeah, exactly. It's it's been one game, and we we heard it's like the, ten minutes. We, I mean, we heard the same the same thing about Maxim Comtois, and then obviously he got sent down. And even before the season started, we heard the same things about Troy Terry. And it's like, you know, it's great. He looked great in this game. I'm I'm happy for him. I'm excited on how well it's already. You know, it the trades already looked pretty good so far, and it's one game in. But uh, I got to see this over four or five six games and see if he's still playing at this level. He doesn't have to score every night, but just see if he, if he's a threat on a nightly basis. And if he is, then sure, it, it definitely makes it better to roll four lines in. You know, we, we saw that tonight when everything is working and everybody's playing well and Sprong can, can be dangerous. Then you you have the luxury of putting a guy like Andre Kasha on the fourth line. And then immediately having that fourth line become uh, a threat and, in in. in in this case, it was one of the best lines the Ducks were able to throw over the boards tonight. So, in that sense, then yeah, if he continues to be a threat, I think it does effectively allow Randy Carlisle to roll four dangerous lines. Agreed. Um, so, Benjamin asked, do you guys hate the NBCSN broadcast as much as I do? I think they forgot the Ducks are also playing in this game. Well, you have to remember they're playing against the Blackhawks, so that's going to happen.
0: I didn't notice it all that much. Um... I did notice it seemed like the cameras were brighter. The ice seemed a lot brighter with the NBC cameras than they did on uh when they would go and show like a Fox feed. I remember them it just being I, I noticed that was like the main difference for me. Uh, coming to, to the commentary, I didn't really care. Um I'm not a huge fan of the Ducks broadcast team as it is. I I actually like Hayward, but uh yeah, I, I didn't really see anything different, did you?
1: I, I didn't th- I don't think so. Um it was maybe a little bit worse because the... But it, it's tough because like sometimes I like the breakup of constant Ducks discussion where you've got them talking about the other team. You know, I don't really want to hear them talk about the Blackhawks because I'm not a fan of the Blackhawks, but I think as a neutral viewer, it's a bit better to be able to hear them talk about both teams and sometimes I'm mm-hmm. just sitting there and you're listening to the Ducks broadcast and they're just talking about just stuff that makes no sense but they can't talk about the other team as much so they're kind of just filling space with random comments about whatever has been going on off ice or whatever and it's just sometimes it's a little bit painful and you'd rather them just talk about something that the other team is doing well or what they what's happened with this team over the last few games or whatnot and sometimes that's a better discussion so it all depends tonight wasn't too bad i don't think um so let's move on to the next question still on facebook from derek he said what are your overall thoughts on our last 10 games do you think we have been good or or lucky to get as many wins as we have in that span
0: lucky for the most part that stretches the ducks were dangerous and looked like a confident team uh but for the most part they relied heavily on ryan getzloff and heavily on john gibson and that's just the same old story i feel like I don't really think this team deserves to be exactly where they're at right now. Um, But they're getting there. Uh, Tonight was a great step. I felt like tonight, that first period was the best ducks team that I've seen in a long time. That, especially the first like 15 minutes was the best ducks team I've seen in a long time.
1: Well, what's the saying? It's, you have to be good to be lucky and lucky to be good. And I think the, the ducks have been a combination of both. They've been lucky in some, in some games and they've been good in others. And, they they haven't been good for the entire game the washington games is a, a direct example of that where they were horrible for half of the game and were getting completely stomped 5 to 1 and all of a sudden they woke up and washington took their their foot off the gas and the ducks scored a couple goals rode the momentum and ended up winning the game in regulation and you know in this game it was kind of an up and down affair too where they started off really strong had that two goal lead after the after the first and then uh, they allowed Chicago to get back into it in the second period and tie the game, and then they took over again a little bit in the third, and once they had the lead, they took their foot off the gas. So the Ducks are, are kind of a little bit all over the place still. Uh, they're, they're inconsistent, but again, you know, five wins in a row, a bit of it is, is luck for sure, but some of it is them playing well. So I, I think you've got to look at, at it as, it's kind of a mix. It, it's always kind of a mix, though. I mean, even some of the best teams in the league, they're still lucky at times.
0: Oh yeah, and it happens. It's hockey. There's stretches and there's weird bounces, and players get hot. So yeah, it's it's been a fun ride. I'll give him that. Uh,
1: so last question on Facebook uh, asks how, uh, what about the Kessler line and how it's looked lately? It hasn't and it, he didn't really explain more, more so what uh, what the question was about. But I think just how has it looked in your opinion? I think it's just not been great. It wasn't great in this game again. Hasn't been great i I'm not impressed.
0: I mean, I want to say that the last time I was on the show, you and I talked about uh, is Kessler going to go oh, oh, one for 30, right? He's going to go 10 more games without a goal. And he had an assist on Hampus Lindholm's goal uh, the other day. So I was close <laughs> in losing that bet. He still didn't score a goal. But uh, offensively, the contribution hasn't been there. That line's kind of falling apart. Um, it, it was disappointing to see how much Silverberg hasn't been producing offensively, too, Eddie. I know you kind of brought that up as he's been a disappointment lately since he's come back from injury. Uh, once he picks that up, um, and I don't know, that's, I don't know if that's going to be on the Kessler line, though. I feel like he's not getting the chances. That line is, yes, they're out there to play two way hockey and play defensive hockey at times, but um, too many times I've seen this, this line get eaten up night in night
1: out. Yeah, it's tough, and that kind of goes off uh, Alex's question. He said had to, and he said, "What's left for Kessler? What should we expect from him?" He's currently the lowest Corsi center on the team. I know he's given tough matchups, but it seems like his line is failing to do what it's designed to do. And we, whoa,
0: easy with the Corsi. We have a lot of fans who don't <laughs> like uh, talking Corsi. You. you know, they don't like don't like that. Especially my our good fan and buddy Chris. He hates that word. Yeah, <laughs>
1: but uh, I mean, we've we've talked about it this year and how. Ryan Kessler and, and and that line as a whole has just not been good and they really have struggled being I mean they're t- they're called the shutdown line but they really haven't been that this year because anytime no. they get put against uh, the opposing teams top forwards uh, that uh, top line is usually taking advantage of, of, of Ryan Kessler and it, it's not pretty uh, the last few games and when you're going at, like you look at some of the best teams that they played lately uh, they got victimized in washington uh, toronto uh the last time the ducks played toronto it was really bad john tavares uh, made kessler's line look ridiculous in that game um so when you're going against some of the, the best players that line doesn't look good and, and they didn't look good in this one either going i believe they were matched up against at times uh patrick kane's line and at times jonathan tave's line and uh, they just didn't look that great they they you know their, their course. You if you're going in that direction, they weren't as bad as some guys. But uh, looking at the eye test and just looking at how they played, uh, I didn't mm-hmm. really see them do anything really spectacular. Um, and Ryan Kessler just looked like he's struggling. And I feel bad for the guy because I I know it's because of the injury and he's he's just not you know going to be what he was anymore. But I think this is kind of a hundred percent what we're going to get from him, and it sucks because. You know, he's still he's still locked down to almost seven million dollars for the next three years and you know we we signed that deal hoping that we we're gonna have a, a healthy Ryan Kessler for that period of time and now uh, he's, he's dealing with that injury and he's just not the same guy he's a gamer he, he'll fight through whatever he has to fight through uh, to play
0: that yeah. guy definitely fights for the uh, the logo on the front of the jersey right that's what he plays for his teammates he, he's a he's a competitor um, and I really liked when Ryan Custer came over to the ducks. It's just really unfortunate. The, the, the injuries and the setbacks he's had and how damaging that's been to the end of his career. It's really unfortunate. It really is. I know that we kind of bag on him a little bit just because we have to be critical about a player. We can't say he's the greatest player yeah. right now because he's not playing that way. So, I mean, what's, what's left for him? I'm not sure. It, it's going to be real interesting what the ducks are going to do, um, uh, come summertime. If they're going to look at a buyout or to do something, but, uh, it's 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 odd. They got they have some moves to make, and if you have a guy that can't play at his, uh, you know, where he's expected to play, you have to make tough decisions.
1: Yeah. Um. So we have three questions remaining. All of them from Sierra. Um. One of them I'm going to table for another time because it's a long discussion. It's about the Seattle news and, Ooh. And, and yeah. So it's I think right now if we got into that it would probably be. 10 15 20 minute discussion if we got into that and i think it warrants that so i i think we tabled that one uh for next the next games podcast because i think we can get into that a little more and it's not really outdated nothing's gonna happen no and we can always talk days. about this eventually for sure
0: but we appreciate
1: her contributing on she's great uh, the, the next two questions she had to finish it out is do you think eves comes back at all this season
0: i would assume so yeah. I don't know what we're going to get out of him, though. That's been a brutal contract, too. That's brutal. I mean, one, he's essentially played
1: how many games in the last two seasons? Ten? Yeah, it, if, it has. If that, it's, it's whatever he played this year because he missed the entire year last year, right? He played so, one game last year, I think. Yeah, he so m- it's one plus whatever he's played this year. So, yeah, it's probably around ten. And, uh, it's been a tough go because it's not. It was the illness, and then he also hurt his shoulder, I think, uh, at the beginning of this year, and then now it's a broken rib that's causing back spasms. So it's just a. He's played a, five games this season. It's just a. It's just a multitude of things that keep going wrong for this guy. So it, it sucks. It's like you know you have this this ridiculous like out there uh, illness that completely wipes out an entire season for you. you didn't even know if you'd ever come back and play hockey again and then on top of that you also injure your shoulder so that prevents you from coming back earlier this year then you come back and then you have back spasms, which you find out was because you broke a rib and you might have to get surgery on that. Now you're out indefinitely. You have no idea when you're going to come back. Um, I would assume he does come back at some point. Obviously, I think it at, at now it's after Christmas and it's probably around the same time that uh, Cam Fowler comes back is when we're looking at when Patrick Ease would come back. Um, but that all depends if, if he ends up getting surgery. I don't think he he will. I, don't th- I think they said that he doesn't need it, um, but it's obviously a severe enough break if it's causing back spasms and you know you're having issues with that as well. So it's it's tough go for him because um I don't think he's, you know, gonna make a huge difference when he comes back to the lineup, but he's still a presence that you like to have and and I think uh, it gives the ducks a little bit more flexibility when he is in the lineup. Hundred percent. I I got nothing more to add to that. That's uh
0: it's just I feel the same way about him. It's it's really
1: unfortunate though. No, for sure. Last question then, and it kind of ends on a a note that makes sense. The Ducks, after grabbing the win today, uh, move one point behind Calgary for first in the Pacific Division, so they're sitting second right now. Uh, San Jose won today as well, but they're still, I believe, two points behind the Ducks. So do you think the Ducks have what it takes to snag the first place Pacific Division (laughs) spot before the end of the regular season? Of course, the
0: the Pacific is a is a dumpster fire. Um, I mean, you want to say Calgary is playing great? There was fifteen goals in their last game. Uh, a <laughs> Nine to six win is insane. Yeah, uh, their offense is, is great. Their goaltending is uh, so leaves a lot lot uh, left to be desired. Um, so there's there's holes in all these teams that we're finding out here going on in the first thirty games. But uh, I think they can. I don't really care if they do. It, it's kind of just whatever to me. Let's just get to the playoffs and see what happens. Um, if they could turn this around, though, and start playing better hockey, I'd be way happier
1: with that. Um, I, I don't think they can because I think eventually the Sharks figure it out and they become the team that everybody expected them to be. And they're going to start rattling off a lot of wins, and they're going to make significant ground on the Ducks at some point. Uh, I mean, the Ducks are going to lose a game eventually. They're not going to yeah. go on a ten-game winning streak. I, I, I can't oh, believe that. But have uh, you have
0: you seen the 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 next like ten games coming up for them? <laughs> yeah, brutal.
1: yeah. So I I don't. Uh, you know, I, I would love it for sure, but I don't think it's going to happen. And, and Calgary. Uh, I think they're too good of a team, and, and I still think that they could win this division. Uh, the, their, their forward lineup is just ridiculous. You've got Elias Lindholm who's come in there and just gelled perfectly with Monaghan and Goodrow, I and mean, they put up a nine spot against Columbus. Against Eight of them were against Sergei Bobrovsky. Um, looks like his timeout in Columbus is probably going to come to an end. Um, if you're the Flames... At the deadline, that's one place you're looking if because Mike Smith and, and David Riddich haven't been uh, necessarily great this year. Uh, if you're the Flames... You're, <laughs> <laughs> it's been terrible. Yeah. I yeah. wish JC was on no the show way. so
0: I could trash Mike Smith. David Riddich <laughs> has
1: has been pretty good. Last game was was tough for him uh, against the Blue Jackets. He got pulled. Mike Smith came in and didn't do much better. They both let in no. three goals. Um, but if you're, you're the Flames, I think you would have to be heavily looking at Sergey Borovsky if he's available uh, if the Blue Jackets are going to try and get something for him before they lose him for nothing, they're one of those teams that I always you know you always look at and you say they're a goaltender away from being a legitimate contender, and I think that's what the Flames are. I mean, their defense is strong enough, and they've got an elite guy in Giordano, and then their forwards are just so good. Uh, they're a reliable, consistent goaltender away from being a contender, and it, it's tough for them because they're looking at a guy and. Freddie Anderson, who they were heavily in on and didn't pull the trigger, and they're looking at him do wonderful things in in Toronto. Uh, and now they're looking at Mike Smith and David Riddich and, and wondering why they didn't go and make them pull off that trade. They should have kept Curtis McElhaney too, apparently, uh, when they had yeah, him yeah, on, I in, guess.
0: In, on the team. Because <laughs> that guy somehow has been playing well. Um, looking ahead, the next 10 games, like I mentioned, Carolina on Friday, Jersey on Sunday, Dallas next Wednesday those are the next three home games and then after that they got a just a treacherous road trip with Columbus Pittsburgh the Rangers Boston Buffalo then they get four days off for Christmas and they have the Sharks in San Jose and then of course they wrap up uh, the rest of the year of 2018 uh, in December with the Coyotes on the 29th and the Lightning on New Year's Eve so not an easy uh, couple handfuls of games coming up, man. It's going to be a real tough stretch, and it's really going to show what this team's made of, and if really they can put something together and play a much tighter brand of hockey, defensively especially, and uh, and see what happens here because um, these are some good teams they're going to be facing here.
1: Yeah, it's going to be tough, I and mean, at least they have a few, at least the next three, I believe, at home, so they're able to kind of deal with that and... And uh, get a little, maybe string some wins together and get some momentum going. But yeah, it, it's going to be tough because after that, like you said, you get the next six on the road, uh, going into Christmas and coming out of Christmas. So uh, it's never an easy thing to do. And you know, you're going out to the East Coast and you're playing Columbus, Pittsburgh, the Rangers, Boston, and Buffalo. Most of them, are pretty much all of them, I guess, uh, at this point, except Pittsburgh and the Rangers, maybe are, are playing some really good hockey. Um, but they're all dangerous teams, and then you come out right after that with a trip to San Jose after Christmas, which uh, which is a very tough matchup, and it'll be a big matchup at that point because you would have to assume that those teams would still be within four or five points of each other's in the standings, depending on how those games go beforehand. So mm-hmm. a big stretch uh, of games coming up for the Ducks. Hopefully, at least in the in the short term, finishing off this mini home stand on a good note, uh, and then going into Christmas with a you know, a few wins on the road.
0: Yeah. If you look at where Pittsburgh's at in the standings, you would think that wouldn't be a tough game because Pittsburgh is not in the playoff hunt right now. Right. I mean, they're sitting back in sixth overall and uh, just not looking great or ultra dangerous right now, but they still have the guns on there. Right. Yeah. I mean, look at, look at, look at Chicago. They're, they're worse off in the standings and they still have those two great players and a couple of young guys that could turn it around at any given moment. So the ducks can't sleep on them. Uh, I just, I really hope they're able to come out with the, with, uh, with just a good stretch here. They always, you, I mean, is it always, or is it just? always feel like they don't play well, but maybe they do on this. They always, when they have this, uh, this back east road trip, I feel like they don't play well in Pittsburgh, and they don't play well in uh in new york so hopefully they change that uh that fortune at least from what i remember
1: how much you want to bet that uh ryan miller gets that start in pittsburgh and not john gibson? oh yeah because Gibby can't win in pittsburgh yeah. we all know that so seen that. Uh, i guaranteed ryan miller gets the start in, in pittsburgh i'd bet money on that and then and then uh, consensus a back-to-back gibson takes the the next day against the rangers i would have to believe they go that way, especially when you look at the fact Randy Carlisle started Ryan Miller against Tampa Bay because of his oh, yeah. career record against Tampa Bay, where probably 80% of those games are from uh, a lot earlier in Ryan Miller's career. <laughs> um, so that, that seems like a, a, a prototypical Randy Carlisle decision. Um, I, I wouldn't bet against that one. I would probably also start Gibson against the Rangers just in case it, it's, it's a tough, a tough job to go into your hometown uh, especially if you're going to have a lot of your, your friends and family there and then have mm-hmm. to play well in front of them in a hostile ability in like Pittsburgh. So uh, it makes sense.
0: Well, let's wrap this here. It's, it's going to be 3 a.m. for Eddie in Toronto here, midnight here for everyone else who's who's still on with us on the West coast. Uh, before we wrap though, we want to thank everybody who comes uh, out and supports us here. If you haven't already go to YouTube. If you're listening to this the next day, um i'm we apologize for the speaker issues again tonight that it will be 100 percent resolved it's it's been very frustrating but uh, we'll get that figured out so we appreciate you guys coming on on the youtube and saying hi go ahead and click subscribe it helps us out and then click the little bell let you know when we do uh our podcast when we come up and do a show uh and then patreon that's we've been getting people coming on and signing up for patreon we really appreciate that too Um we love getting that support. We love doing the bonus shows. Uh, we're going to try to do two of them this week, too, for your Patreon peeps that that contribute. And I finally got our wholesale puck bottle opener invoice in today. It's going to be paid for tomorrow, and they'll be on their way before Christmas. You guys are going to get your puck bottle openers if uh, you're part of the top tier there on Patreon. So we love you guys for that. And you know where to find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Forever Mighty Postgame Show. And we'll talk to you guys here on Friday. Have a good one.
1: Thanks for ruining my show, by the way, that's it. I'm sorry you guys had to sit through that, but this is an obligation, contract obligation, they told me, so Um, my kneecaps are sweating and I really gotta go to the bathroom, so um, I'm gonna have to let you guys go, thank you, bye.